So we're starting a new message series this morning called Curator Society, and all will become clear. Um, I promise we will get to what that means, because it's a bit of an obscure title, isn't it? Um, but I've got to give you a little bit of the background of my thinking before we get to that, so just bear with me, and I promise we will make it in the end. So, over the last few years, um, when I have given a little bit of time just to ask the Lord what moves his heart, often my thinking goes to how the world operates and what is going on in planet Earth. And uh, all sorts of news stories hit my mind and all sorts of awarenesses I have hit my mind. And just occasionally when I'm before the Lord saying, God, how can I pray in line with your heart? I feel a little bit ashamed to be human. Does anyone ever feel like that? When you look at the mess that's out there and you look at the, the, the mess we're making of this planet and all the rest of it, and you can feel a little bit like, God, right now I feel like I'm part of a race of parasites because so much is badly handled and so much is going wrong. And um, I think there's something healthy about acknowledging when something's going wrong, uh, when something is, is not as it should be. And I think acknowledging that before the Lord is probably the healthiest place to take something that is broken, that is messy, that is not right, that is unjust. Whether it's something that's within our own lives or whether it's something that is beyond us and global, actually it's when we come before the Lord and we acknowledge the sin and the mess and the brokenness of the world that we're taking it to the right place, right? But God doesn't let us just stay aware and overwhelmed about the mess on our planet. He doesn't just do that, because none of us can carry that stuff, can we? None of us can carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, and it can feel like that and drag us down sometimes. But what I find is that God loves to mobilize us to pray, first and foremost, and then he loves to start to bring transformation. He lets us know where to start, just one little thing we can do to begin to make a change and to make a difference and start to move in a new direction. And he starts generally with us. He starts by transforming us, our mindsets, our inner world, our priorities. It starts in here. That's how the kingdom comes, remember. And then things begin to change. And so um, it feels time to talk about certain things that are going on in the world and how we can respond to them. Suzanne, a couple of weeks ago, already began to open this subject by challenging our thinking about how we view ourselves in terms of our place in the world, describing us as a migrant people, just passing through a world that doesn't belong to us and is not our eternal home. It was a great session, wasn't it? I think that's an amazing way to think of ourselves as believers, as people that are just passing through, and that this world is not our home, and it is not our own, it is not for us to possess. And she said this, oh, this thing is frustrating me now. This looks like it should work, but it's, there you go. Help me out. Okay, so she said this, recognizing ourselves as visitors or migrants in this world means recognizing that everything we have is from God and just on loan to us. What a great quote. Do you like that? And then last week we had Cap Sunday, and Fraser encouraged us that we are a generous people. We are called to be a generous people. Why? Because everything we have doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He quoted this verse from 1 Chronicles 29. He said, 
But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give generously, as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is a quote of, of David speaking. And David is saying, we're only able to be generous because we give back to God what he has first given to us. Everything comes from God. So, Suzanne, everything is from God and on loan to us. Nothing can be understood as our own personal possession. From Fraser, we can be generous because everything ultimately comes from him. So developing this line of thought, it begs the question that if everything ultimately belongs to God, nothing we have is to be understood as our own personal possession, how then should we think and feel about the things that we've been given? What is our relationship with the things that we hold in our hands? If what I have is not mine to use however I like, how do I make sure I'm using his things in the way that he intended? Will I be held accountable for what I use and what I care for and how, how I share what I have in my hands? We need to get our mindset really clear on these things because... Whatever we actually believe on these issues will dictate so many of our unconscious decisions. I mean like big life decisions about what vocation that we're prepared to look at and career options, whether we're going to climb that career ladder or whether we're going to stay in a place where we feel God has called us to. There's big stuff like that. It's going to affect where we choose to live and how we choose to live. It can even affect who we choose to relate to and how we treat people. And let's be honest, when it comes to this idea of possession, we live in a very dark world where the planet is treated as a possession to be exploited, where animals are treated as possessions to be exploited for their skins or their tusks or for industrial food production or whatever, whatever we can take from them. Even people are treated as possessions to be exploited, with slavery and human trafficking at its highest level in human history. We're in a dark time. We live in what sociologists and ec economists describe as a consumer society, which is not a new ph phenomenon. It's as old as humanity. Can I have the next one? And the next one. Consumer society, a society in which people often buy new goods, especially goods that they do not need, and in which a high value is placed on owning many things. That's a definition of consumer society. Is that born in the heart of God? I'd argue that it is not. It's not God's heart. The idea that we're here to consume is a big, big driver in human behavior. Here's some synonyms of what it means to consume. Can I have the next one? Okay, first one. To devour, keep going. To deplete, to annihilate, to exhaust, to kill off, or to destroy. Who does that sound like to you? Jesus, speaking of Satan, said this. Oh, the next one, please. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and life to the full. That's John 10.10. 10. So, oh, it's all right. <laughs> Keep going. So the principalities and powers of this world are driving people to lustfully consume and possess as much as we possibly can, while we can, before we leave this world empty-handed. And over time, life in an established consumer society has a powerful effect on our subconscious thought processes. So consumer culture heightens a number of things, and it also desensitizes us to a number of things. So it continually... Uh, heightens our awareness of what we don't have, and it seduces us to believe that we should have it. That's what consumer society does. It continually broadens our awareness of possibilities for things, experiences, and possession-based identities to ensure that there is always something that we feel we haven't achieved, something we haven't been able to experience, or something we haven't been able to own, or someone we just haven't quite managed to be. At the same time, consumer-driven societies desensitize us to other realities. Waste. In consumer society, waste is downplayed in a big way. We're trained to casually throw away useful or repairable resources in favor of possessing the newer version, whatever it is. We've got to update and update and update as quick as we can so that we've got the current best of everything. Until relatively recently, we've been trained not to care about packaging. Packaging is a massive thing that we've suddenly become all aware of. But actually, if you go back 50 years, the awareness of packaging it was, was very, very small. For decades, packaging has gone unquestioned by the masses, designed primarily to attract the consumer and to guarantee the condition of a precious product inside. It's usually discarded immediately upon consumption of the product, often with no reusable value, slowly turning our planet into one big landfill site and quietly harming species and ecosystems across the globe. Sound like I'm having a big rant. I'm just trying to tell the truth. Consumer culture also desensitizes us to, our, to the damage. We know our demand causes the environment. Our insatiable appetite for products like processed meat, products containing palm oil, gold, and current trend products like avocados are clearly driving global deforestation at an alarming rate, removing our planet's mechanism to cool itself. We've known this for decades, haven't we? And yet, as we know, as governments and as consumers, we seem to be able to desensitize ourselves enough to the issue to continue to use the products that drive the problem. Is that fair? As we all know now, the scientists are saying that we are now approaching a point of no return, a point when the increased temperature of our planet will release further natural processes that will irreversibly accelerate the warming of our atmosphere and make life on Earth unbearable. And of course, the extreme weather patterns, famine and flooding, will impact the most vulnerable on our planet. It will hit them first and it will hit them hardest. 
The poorer nations will once again suffer due to the greed and indifference of the richer nations of the world. In such a situation, most animal and plant life would be lost, resources would become scarce, and mass migration and international conflict is inevitable. There's a kind of weird irony to it that the consumers of the world become consumed by their consumerism. That's a bit weird, isn't it? That this addiction that we have will one day come back to bite us and we're going to feel it keenly. Most human beings know that consuming and possessing more things doesn't bring life. We know it. We've had some amazing quotes on this from people who have achieved a huge amount and possessed a huge amount and been able to consume as much as they can in one lifetime, way more than we could ever imagine. And they've got to the top of that tree and said, there's no life here. We know that, don't we? You can't get life just through possessing stuff and consuming stuff. You can't. And yet, the need to try is in the very air we breathe. And so there's still that element of us that kind of still keeps trying to try to fill that void of life with stuff and with things that we feel we need or we come to believe that we need. So thanks be to God that he has something different in mind. You see, God never said to man, go be consumers and increase your possessions. He didn't say, go claim the earth and exploit it. That's not God's words. He didn't say that. He said this, God blessed them, this is what it says in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, which in itself is a generous self-giving term, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is the first assignment that we have as human beings. It's to live blessed by God. It's to be fruitful, to fill the earth, and to subdue it and rule over it. Okay? Now, you've got that word subdue, and the Hebrew is kabash. Kabash. And then you've got that word to rule over, which is radar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think if I say it confidently enough, you're not going to know the difference. Radar, okay? Now, kabash could be understood as anything from to capture to um, bring order from. Anything from capture to bring order from. So, which is it? And that word radar means anything from to dominate to to take responsibility for. So are we out there to capture and dominate? Is that what it says in Scripture? Or are we there to order, make order from and take responsibility for? Let's hope it's the latter. In the past, the majority of Western Christendom has seemed strangely indifferent to the abuse of creation. If we're honest, if we look back over the story of Christianity, there are some shining lights of care for our ecosystems in the world. There are some brilliant examples, but there is a huge overriding indifference to this issue in the Christian world, actually. 
There are other religions and other philosophies that have championed creation care way more than the Christian community have over past decades. There's a, the idea that Jesus is coming again soon, and he's going to make all things new. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. So if God's going to come back and roll everything up like a scroll, and he's going to start again, and he's going to recreate earth, and he's going to recreate heaven, surely he's going to come back before we hit that wall anyway, right? That's what some people have, have been preaching. Let's have the next one. So this is Professor Lynn White in 1967 in quite a famous article she put out there. She was commenting on this bit in Genesis 1 that we've just read. And she said, not only, Genesis 1 not only established the dualism of man and nature, but it also insisted that it is God's will that man exploit nature for its proper ends. So we've got theologians out there that are saying, guys, go forth and exploit the earth. That's what it says in Genesis 1. This is our purpose. This is God's mandate to us. Thankfully, this is back in the 60s, and there's been some change in thinking since then. The problem with this view is that the rest of Scripture talks about how much God loves this world, how much he loves creation, how much he loves humanity, how much he cares for what happens of how we treat the land and how we treat the foreigner and how we treat everything that he's given us. How it, everything else in Scripture points to the idea that God didn't say, go forth and capture and uh, exhaust the earth, but instead that God said, go forth, create order and take responsibility and care for the earth. So how do you feel about someone that's been given that responsibility to bring order on planet earth and to care for it? I tried to find a single word that describes the kind of relationship that God had in mind between people and creation when he gave the earth to them. And the most useful word I can find is the word curators. So you can hit it again, because I've had enough of that horrible quote. Curators. What do you think about that? Let's uh, have a definition. Let's bring the next one up. A curator is someone who has the care and superintendent of something, especially one in charge of a museum, a zoo, or another place of exhibit. I think that kind of captures it. So in the same way that a zookeeper is in charge of a zoo, God has given us the mandate as humanity to be keepers of creation to be those who understand what is here and delight in what is here, gets really excited about what God has put in the planet, understand how things work, understand what things need. And then as a whole team, we go out and we care for what there is. I quite like that. If you see the world as God's exhibit of his glory and his goodness, and then he makes us the curators of creation. Do you like that? I like that. I believe this is pretty close to what God had in mind. As keepers of his creation, his collection of wonders on earth, we're not to think of everything we have as possessions to consume, but as gifts to enjoy and to care for, to preserve for as many people as possible and as many generations as possible. And you know what? It, it fascinates me that if this was our first agenda, 
that, that the way Satan robbed us of this first agenda is to come in with a consumerist idea. Very first sin in the Garden of Eden. How did Satan approach man? He showed man something that he possibly could have. And he said, if you just reach out and take it, take it for yourself and consume it, then you will have, then you will be, then you will be able to elevate yourself to something that you weren't beforehand. Just reach out and take it. You're worth it. Didn't he? It was a sales pitch. It was a marketing idea. And it was an idea that was supposed to result in us being able to reach out and take something and consume it so that we could be better. And in that moment, when Eve reached out and took the apple and consumed it, we went from becoming a creator society to becoming a consumer society. And you can trace that, that driver of humanity throughout every single people group on the planet. It doesn't matter where you go, you can see that same drive amongst humanity. I think it's time to switch it back. I think this is something that God is doing in our day, is he is reversing that decision. Rather than being consumers, with people who have a consumer heart, he's bringing us back to be people with a creator heart, a curator heart. People who are going to take responsibility and be blessed and dignified keepers of God's earth once again. Amen? Surely we've all noticed that there is a new consciousness rising right now in our day. Have you all been on your BBC News apps this week? Have you seen the protests that are happening around the world? This is a very current issue. A generation of young men and women who are tired of being told what they need to have and who they need to be and have been resensitized to the problems of our consumer culture. They not only know about waste plastics and unclean energy and deforestation and all these drivers, they also care enough to do something about it. And I see that as nothing short of a move of God, if I'm really honest. That there are kids around the world starting to care about where their clothes come from and where their food comes from. And are begin to lobby beginning to lobby governments and take care of the earth as their first priority. That is a miracle. I think they're finally beginning to fulfill God's vision in Genesis 1 en masse. And I'm inspired. It's wonderful. Maybe, just maybe, we can change our thinking and our lifestyles before it's too late. Maybe our children and our grandchildren will do what we neglected to do and to make God cry with joy as his world is finally treasured in the way he intended. It's just about still possible. So I don't need to give you a set of instructions on what to do. You can look at all sorts of news right now, and they will send, they'll give you links to know how, to, how we can change our lifestyles, or you can just Google the best way to adjust your lifestyle to care for the environment. But let's just agree this morning, as God's people, not to lag behind on these issues anymore. Amen? The church of Jesus Christ should have been leading the way on this. And as we shall see in this series, it's all in the Bible. It's all been there in our hands all along. So next week, we're going to look at the responsibility that God has given us to be curators of humanity. Am I my brother's keeper? 
Who is my neighbor? Who has God given me in my sphere of influence, in my family, that he has given me to look after, to take responsibility for, to care for? What are people for? We're going to look at uh, the gift of time. How we can curate our time in a way that honors him. Time belongs to the Lord. It is a gift that we are given to, to use and to treasure. And we will give an account for how we use our time. And then finally, we're going to look at our resources, how we can enjoy them, how we can use them, but also how we can steward them for him and his purposes. Does that sound good? Let's have the worship band back up.